Hello, this is the HSJ Health Check podcast. I'm your host, Annabelle Collins, and this week I'm joined by Lawrence Dunhill, James Illman and Hayley Curtin. This week has seen the spring budget and junior doctors on strike. And on this episode, we'll be discussing both of these things. Let's start, first of all, with the budget. We're recording on Wednesday and the budget was this lunchtime. Lawrence, first of all, could you give us an overview of what was in it for the NHS and also what was missed out? Yeah, sure. So the the big sort of NHS and social care spending commitments were made in the autumn statement. So we weren't expecting anything um, big in, in this budget. And, and as expected, there weren't any sort of big specific announcements. Um, but within the the Chancellor's overall theme of getting more people back into work, uh, that there were at least three elements uh, which involve or impact on the NHS. Um, the first one being the increase in childcare allowance um, should help many healthcare workers uh, get back to get get back to work, do more hours, um, and that's a good thing for trusts because that will help them fill some of their rotors. Um, then there was also more employment support announced for mental health and musculoskeletal services um, and so there's potential there for that to help the NHS by getting people off waiting lists and back to work um, and then the, the 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 bigger one was uh, reform of pensions and so scrapping the lifetime allowance and increasing the annual allowance that should bring back uh, bring more consultants back to work or en- encourage them to do more waiting list initiatives. Um, in terms of the unanswered questions and things that weren't in it, um, there, w- there was nothing about pay awards. Um, and so we still don't know how any pay increase next year, the, the sort of 5% increase being talked about, uh, we don't know how that would be funded because the current budget only rises by 3.5%. There was nothing on NHS capital funding, nothing on social care, and um, perhaps most significantly, there's no, there nothing on the workforce plan, which has been talked about in the last few weeks. It just said the workforce plan will be published shortly. Um, so that's where we are. Thanks very much. I think it would be good to hone in a bit on pensions as that's obviously a huge issue for um, I'm sure many of our listeners and a long running one. Um, I think it would be good to come to bring you in now, Hayley. Um, Lawrence just kind of gave a a brief overview of um, some of the changes, but do you think we could go into a bit more detail? What, What exactly did were the changes in the budget for, for pensions? Yeah, sure. So the, the main kind of ones which um, affect the NHS and the people working for the NHS is the big one was um, lifetime allowance being abolished, which I don't think um, it was widely trailed that something would be happening to lifetime allowance like being raised or being raised by quite a bit. But I, I'm not sure I saw any suggestion that it would be scrapped. That was quite an extensive move. Um, other changes are, as Lawrence mentioned, is that the annual allowance has been increased from 40,000 to 60,000. The minimum, um, the minimum that the taper can go down to has been increased from 4,000 to 10,000. And the adjusted income for triggering the annual allowance taper has been raised from, I need to look this up, but it's 240,000 to 260,000. Um, so there's there's quite a lot of changes there affecting the pension taxation regime. Um, 
I'm aware I've whittled through a load of terms there which people may not be familiar with so should I go back and explain them yes. a little bit so lifetime allowance is is sort of what it says on the tin it's the amount you can save into your pension during your lifetime before you incur tax charge annual allowance is the amount you can um, incur each year or pay into your pension each year before you incur a tax charge. Um, people will probably remember the annual allowance taper from around 2019-2020, I believe, Annabelle, when you were reporting on this and you did that story on um, doctors opting out of their pension scheme. Um, so the annual allowance taper was introduced in 2016 and effectively what it does is if you are a higher earner, it reduces the amount you can save into your pension scheme every year from 40000 to um, a lower amount when it was a big deal back in, as I said, 2018, 2019, the amount was uh, 10,000, but it's actually gone even lower since then to 4,000, and now it's being brought back up to 10,000. Uh, and the adjusted income from the annual allowance taper is when mm -hmm. that triggers. So, how much essentially you you have to learn, have to earn for pension taxation purposes before that that um, that amount starts being tapered down, and that's been increased by 20k. And I suppose what were some of the reasons given for, for making these changes? Um, so it's important. I think one of the important things to realise is it's a change to the pension taxation regime in general. So it applies to everybody. But I thought what's quite interesting is that Jeremy Hunt in his speech did you know, name the NHS by name and mentioned that it was to do with with kind of doctors retiring and people I think he said I don't want doctors to retire because of the way pension taxes work and he also mentioned that his moves would stop 80% of NHS doctors from receiving a tax charge um, it all came under the header of um, kind of keeping what he said was older workers in the workforce although I'm not sure that everybody who who's affected by these these changes would classify themselves as an older worker um, but that's what the that's the heading that it comes under in the budget documents um, so it's sort of to kind of to stop people from retiring early um, because they you know are going to breach their, their lifetime allowance and are going to have to pay tax on their pension um, so that's the sort of that's the sort of um, aim of it um, that it's designed to stop doing so it's designed to keep people kind of in the workforce for longer and this will obviously not obviously but this will go beyond consultants this isn't just an nhs fix it's, it's no it's not everybody. just an nhs yeah. fix it's, it goes beyond consultants and to, to kind of people who are you know, otherwise higher earners in the nhs um mm. will also benefit but other higher earners more generally and I suppose what would be interesting maybe to talk a little bit, a bit about whether this was the, the the right solution. That might be very difficult to answer, but I've seen, um, I think it was um, Torsten Bell suggested on Twitter that it's a very expensive solution for the mm. what has been sort of uh, summarised as the, the NHS pensions crisis. So I want, what, what are your thoughts on that, Hayley? So if you go to the budget, you're right, it's a very expensive solution. So um, scrapping the lifetime allowance and... Um, raising the uh, annual allowance is going to cost the treasury about one billion a year um but then when you look at the numbers it, the i've seen a couple of numbers quoted but the number of people affected by lifetime allowance seems to be about about ten thousand people so it's not not a huge amount of people um and there is the argument that because it's a change to the tax regime more generally it could be um people who are just higher earners more generally can you know take advantage of this um, and pensions are a very kind of tax 
a very tax effective investment so a very tax effective vehicle to to put money into um so you could have more people doing that which is probably people would argue is not its intended um purpose but on the other hand it is um affecting people who on the other hand it is kind of aimed as i said at kind of consultants who might be leaving the workforce it's people who have a lot of experience um the bma has pointed out it's people who are mentoring their younger colleagues and having their younger colleagues obviously there's also the uh, drive drive for electives at the moment it's people who'd be working on that it's people you don't really want leaving the workforce at this point um so i mean it is a very expensive um solution to a problem which affects i mean not that many people but maybe it's the people that that's yeah, worth paying the money for um there are potentially people have said there's other um solutions to this lawrence knows more about pension recycling than i do but that's the the one that we were talking about um before we started um so that that is that is one solution and i guess it's been welcomed broadly by the the health service the nhs i mean and the bma it's isn't it almost exactly what they've been calling for it is they said it, it was it's something they've been been lobbying for 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 several years when reaction to today's announcement they they're very mm. welcoming of it mm. thanks Haley. i'm very grateful for your expertise on <laughs> on this very technical topic um and i think now let's let's talk um about kind of the second kind of big thing going on this week in, in the nhs which is of course the junior doctor strikes this is day three of 72 hours of continuous walkouts from junior doctors in england um james um bringing you in here what what have we seen so far we've all been spending a lot of time um asking people how things are going this week yeah sure i mean it has been a mixed bag as you'd expect there's a lot of elective activities being cancelled and things are very, very challenged uh, across the system. Um, I think, first of all, it, it, it's worth saying that the, the strikes haven't attracted the same attention as they did in 2016, the last time the junior doctor strikes, and that's because we're in a very, very different time than we were back then. It was It was all over the front pages every day. Uh, for a long period back then. Uh, but now there seems to be a lot more kind of strike fatigue among the general public. And there has been some good news about how the strikes have gone so far. So before the strikes, there were various sort of doomsday warnings about A&Es having to be closed. There, we've seen some minor injuries units closed and we have seen A&Es under supreme pressure. But um, generally, uh, well, uh, as uh, at the time of recording, we haven't heard of any having to actually shut. Um, consultants have really stepped up in the main, as we'll come on to shortly. There's been a pretty big uh, dust up over how much consultants should be paid to do the um, covering for their junior colleagues. But there, there seems to be a consensus among trust leaders I've spoken to that the, the senior doctors are, are going the extra mile as they did back in 2016, covering their junior colleagues, um, albeit with um, a lot of planned operations cancelled, which was always going to be the case when you kind of took out such a, uh, a, a integral part of the medical workforce. On the the, uh, the negative side, this this patient's lacking awareness of the strike issue feels fairly um, avoidable really and there was we we ran a story uh, last week 
around a lot of NHS leaders being very concerned that neither ministers nor NHS England were really kind of consistently hitting the message hard enough that this this strike uh, was going to be uh, is the, the the biggest strike that the NHS has seen and it's going to be a much bigger struggle this week than it has been uh, in previous walkouts by the nurses and the um, ambulance workers and physios. So this this was the big one. So why why wasn't there enough uh, noise made about it? And as I say, it's a, it is a complex situation. The the strike fatigue when when the nurses first walked out um, just for Christmas, it was it. it there hadn't been as many strikes, but now, I mean, it just feels like someone's on strike every day. Uh, and I have some sympathy with people for losing track of that. But obviously, that's of no consolation to the NHS, which faced one of its busiest days on Monday uh, on the first day of the strike. Uh, and it seems to have been pretty relentless. Generally, Mondays are busy in the NHS, but it seems to have been uh, they, there doesn't seem to have been much let up shall we say um and then you know we've we've already seen around 140,000 appointments cancelled because of strikes prior to this week so uh, obviously there are big concerns around the next elective target which is uh, uh eliminating or virtually eliminating um whichever way they uh, end up cutting it the <laughs> 78 week waiters by uh, by by april so that 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 deadline is, mm. is you know, they were really on the home straight for that. And yeah. then, uh, of, of course, you know, it's going to have implications like some some patients are not being booked in for another six months. So, mm. you know, that uh, so there's there's, you know, a lot of very bad repercussions is as as you'd expect, as, as was mm. always going to be the case. And yeah, James, I was going to ask about that, actually. I think mm. um, we're seeing um, busy emergency departments kind of uh, immediately and and um, the important work kind of is being covered by consultants but a lot of people I, I've been talking to have been saying they're worried about the later impact so the impact on yeah. elective the impact on diagnostics um, what are some of the targets I was wondering do you think might be kind of threatened by this strike action and I know it's not it's not about the targets it's about kind of providing good and timely care yeah. but you, you know it's like a, the, a way of the talking targets, about it yeah. yeah completely the targets are there for that purpose to yeah. provide good and timely care so yeah this this 78 week target which was always going to be a challenge to hit and mm. it's you know the the kind of line coming out of nhs england for a long time is we're going to hit the 78 week target but then at the same time they'd say stuff like we're going to virtually eliminate it which was the the way Very they handy moved word, the goalposts it? it's a <laughs> handy virtually can do a lot of heavy lifting for you so you know they virtually eliminated the two-year waiters by july well there's still over a thousand two-year waiters or there certainly were at, at, at the last set of figures so and i always go back to this when when people say well what does virtual mean before the pandemic there were 1600 people who had waited over a year 1600 over a year and that was considered a really really bad place if you're a chief exec with with year plus waiters you were on the naughty step make no bones about it so to say oh well we virtually eliminated um and we still got a thousand it's yeah so this 78 week target we're going to run into that same debate what does it mean? But that said, in NHS England's defence, um, you know, this 
say say they miss it by a tiny bit in April, well, that doesn't really matter as, as, as long as the overall picture is of things moving in the right direction, the waiting list coming down, et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, this, this three days of, di of disruption, um, it could jeopardize that. And also it's just really um, put a spanner in the works of, as, of as what's been uh, a very productive time for the NHS. There's, there's, there's no two ways that over the last couple of months, the, the, the figures around how many 78 week waiters peaked at about 125,000, I think it was, down to about 30,000, I think now. Um, you know, it's it's come down a lot. Uh, that mm. peak, admittedly, was some time ago, but uh, but certainly, yeah, the figures have really been coming down. So um, so it's pretty dispiriting as well if you're if you're there at a trust and and you've done all this good work and and you feel like you're turning the tide, and then three days of disruption comes along and it's like, you know, one step forward and five steps back. So it's um, yeah, I, I I can imagine it's a bit of a morale issue as 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 well. Certainly, a lot of people I'm speaking to are just um, yeah, uh, not having a lot of fun at the moment, and and it was challenging before. Mm. And when will we get a sense of how many cancellations there have been? There have been because you know we're being told that there there have been an awful lot, but when do we actually? When can we start kind of quantifying this? Yeah, so uh, five o'clock on Friday. Um, just the time you want some really complicated figures to be dropped on you. NHS England is is due to publish the cancellations data for this week. So we should have a clearer idea. I have to say, when the data's come out so far after the various strikes, and that's where this 140,000 figure comes from, the official mm. data, the data doesn't look, yeah, it's... Um, it came out, I remember after the first couple of nurses strikes, it, the data all looked very the same and, and it felt like... Yes, well, it, I remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah it, it did feel a little odd. But anyway, it, it will at the very least be a kind of finger in the air. Uh, here's roughly what's happened come Friday. We should we we, we should know that. And, and that's, you know, it's a pretty quick turnaround to get the data in. But um, yeah, that, 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 that data all should be pretty real time anyway so um mm -hmm. and i think the focus will be on there are you know a few big trusts that make up uh the bulk of uh you know the manchesters the birmingham's the leicesters that, that, that make up the bulk of the waiting list and and it'll be very interesting to see how how badly those trusts have been hit because that mm -hmm. will ultimately have the biggest determine determinant on the overall uh situation Mm. And just before we get into a bit more about the rate card, Lawrence, is, is this sort of tally with what you've been hearing? Um, I, you, you cover the Northwest for HSJ. Is this sort of a similar picture in terms of the uh, kind of a, how people are coping? Yeah, yeah, very much so. I think I think particularly the the point about hospitals be actually being still pretty busy um, because it seems like you know there's there's a lot of strike fatigue as james is saying the you know people people have got bored of it um and so the hospitals have had the same number of people turning up but they seem to have coped okay with with people covering the shifts um it seems to me like the 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 timing of the of the strikes is of the BMA strikes is interesting and and maybe maybe it's just incidental but it just seems quite unfortunate that it, it's become it's come after all the other other strikes so it's having mm -hmm. sort of less of an impact in the public's mind and yeah. then it it also seems to me like 
that the government are possibly in quite a good position here now because they can potentially pick off the other unions and so if they if they can reach a deal with the other unions particularly the RCN who were who were the first to call off their strike mm. um and, and agree a deal with them um which is you know, it seems pretty obvious it's going to be a lot, a lot less than the 35% that the BMA are asking for, probably more in the region of sort of five to 10%. Um, that if they can manage that, then the BMA are suddenly going to look, um, uh, going to look like they're in quite a difficult position. And, and, and I imagine would, would potentially sort of lose sympathy with a lot of people if, if the nurses in particular have agreed to a deal. Mm, yeah, I that, think that, that would yeah. be an interesting dynamic. Yeah, it seems that from what I can gather that there really hasn't been any movement between the BMA and the HCSA, um, the smaller union, but still kind of at the table and um, and the government. But um, yes, also nothing from the other unions. I think that's still ongoing. Um, and of, of course, because of kind of a lot of consultants um, taking on the shifts and things do seem to have been covered kind of safely as far as as you know as we've been hearing is this going to have I suppose the the impact that the the union wanted not to say that they'd want anyone to come to harm but I suppose a way for it to be felt is through kind of the pocket the government's pocket and the finances um, and James I think maybe this can bring us onto the rate card which is um and no, thank you. Um, <laughs> didn't even practice that one. Um, but it'd be good to kind of talk about what what the rate card is. I think we've mentioned it a bit before on the po- podcast, but just to remind listeners. Yeah, sure. And I've, I, it is a really interesting one, and it's it's caused a lot of upset, um, kind of in the sort of days and weeks, kind of running it up to this has. strike. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So so the BMA rate card was um, for a long time. There's been this debate over uh, over overtime and salaries in general, you, you kind of have to consider the rate card as just uh, another moving part of the whole debate around remuneration for doctors. And so last summer, the BMA bought in um, a rate card, which does what it says on the tin. It's like, here's what you should pay if you do an overnight shift. Here's what you should pay mm-hmm. if you do an evening shift, day shift, et cetera, et cetera. And this is dis- these are all overtime shifts, I stress. So this is this is about overtime and this. So first of all, um, I, I can't remember which one came first, but there's 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 a consultant's rate card, there's a junior doctor's rate card, there's a SAS rate card, et cetera, et cetera. So um, so uh, and NHS employers, Smalley and Biggie, were both quite grumpy about this because they're saying this is this has been unilaterally imposed on us. We haven't agreed to these rates. Uh, equally, the BMA. Uh, and and a, a lot of non-affiliated doctors I've spoken to push back and say, "Well, hang on a minute, we, we we've we've had rates imposed on us that we didn't agree with either." So so both sides very testy, uh, and um, and it was already very grumpy even last summer, uh, and that's been simmering and simmering. And now, if you speak to a chief executive of an acute trust and you say what is the biggest problem for you in terms of if you're going to hit your elected targets or not the bma rate card will be up there the cost pressure is just so they would say we we just can't afford the rates so i i guess yeah what are the rates for the strike uh and this is so this issue's been bubbling and bubbling away but it really kind of popped out into the kind of public discourse over the course of the strike an overnight shift 262 pounds per hour is what the BMA rate card said um, that was the, the the top rate so overnight um, 
uh, and um, so that would come to just over three grand for a 12 hour shift, 3,144, that's pre-tax. Um, but then, you know, one trust chief exec I was speaking to said, no, 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 that's not what it's going to cost me. It's going to cost me a lot more than that because I, if someone's doing the night shift, then they can't work uh, the day shifts either side of that, but I've still got to pay them for that. So it's going to cost me something more like four and a half grand. Uh, and as you say, this is this is certainly hitting trusts in the pocket, if not, you know, the government at the top level. Um, and it will be very interesting to see. Um, and this is a piece of, uh, of research I'm trying to do at the moment is is who is paying the rate card, which trusts are paying the rate card and which aren't. Um, and, and there was a general feeling that if if London gave way and started paying the rates, then then there'd be a kind of domino effect uh, and other trusts would would have to pay too. Um, and also, you know, there's been kind of at the margins, I stress, you know, on the whole, this is not a story about profiteering doctors or or managers trying to get sweatshop labour. Uh, this is both sides actually have very reasonable points. One saying, pay us what we're worth. And the other side saying, I'm just trying to do what I can within the spending envelope that I've got. Um, so, so both sides have been dealt a really bad hand. Equally, there has been some very poor behaviour, again, by both sides. It's not a very edifying situation for anyone, whereby you've had uh, some consultant sort of uh, playing trust off one another and, and and equally some trust managers behaving very very badly as well in terms of how they've got about negotiating these terms so um yeah there's there's been a lot of emotion uh, mm. shall we say around this yeah and it's all kind of come to the come bubbling to the surface because of of the strikes and you know suddenly that 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 supply demand um equation getting even tougher for the nhs and I wonder, do you think there's a worry that if these rates are paid um, to cover the strike shifts that they might, consultants might ask for them again, Completely. particularly to cover some of the elective work? And I know there was a separate elective work card, but I think this this one is a little higher. Yeah, um, exactly yeah. Yeah, yeah, I wonder yeah. if people feel nervous about that. This is now sort of set a precedent. Setting precedent. That's exactly mm. exactly the feedback I'm getting. We're very concerned it's going to set a precedent, and then mm. and and we just all the uh, trajectories have been, you know, calculated on 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 far lesser hourly rates for mm. um, uh, medical overtime. So um, mm. yeah, it's 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 a big old muddle, and it's not going to get fixed anytime soon. In fact, the only time it can really get fixed is if the BMA and government cut a deal on on pay overall, because yeah. ultimately that's what this is about. This is about the remuneration of 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 doctors. So it all. Mm. And the, the 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 rate card is just another lever that the BMA can pull, a to kind of put pressure on the system financially, uh, but also just to get more um, uh, better pay for their members, which ultimately, as a union, is their job. Mm. And NHS employers with a with a biggie, with a biggie, <laughs> with yeah. a biggie have 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 said um, that this isn't has this hasn't been. Uh, the rate card hasn't been negotiated. It hasn't no. been kind of decided with them. Do you think the BMA have kind of an appetite at all to to sit down with them and come up with something that is 
more palatable perhaps for um you know chief executives who are, who are saying you know we just simply can't afford this it's all being pushed to a very local level, which on one level makes sense because rates do differ, you know, cost of living differs a lot across the country. So so NHS England and NHS employers have been very keen for local rates to do the um, uh, negotiation at a local level, but trust at local level, like, hang on a minute, give us a bit of cover here, like give us some guidance. What are we supposed to do? So they've been feeling like they've been kind of hung out to dry. Um, in terms of an overall negotiation, a bit like the national situation, um, I, it, no one seems to be making terribly constructive noises. Uh, so so it, it, it is going to be quite a, um, but yeah, I, again, I have some sympathy with people at the national level saying, well, um, you know, what you get paid for a shift uh, in, in in Cumbria is going to be very different to what you get paid for a shift in Camden. And that's that's just the way the world is. So um, let's let's let them sort it out locally. But then you can get this domino effect as well. And of course, you know, for a trust where some of their workforce could either work for them just outside London or go inside London and earn more money. I mean, that's that's always been a problem for, for those kind of trusts. So it just it just further exacerbates existing um, cost pressures and staffing pressures on on trusts who already struggle to get um, to get the staff. Mm. I'm, I'm interested, a... uh, Annabelle and James, to just see what you think about this. But it, see, it seems to me it's been, this pensions issue has been a long running thing between the, the government and the BMA. And, and these changes seem like quite a win for the BMA yeah. that, that they're, ple they're pleased about it. Um, and so it seems odd that it, it, the government haven't sort of used that in any uh, future pay negotiation or, or perhaps they or perhaps they have there's a sort of yeah, yeah the, perhaps there's a deal going on that you know that this will feed into the, any any pay negotiation with the consultants yeah I mean Jeremy Hunt is of course a veteran of the 2016 um, mm. uh, uh, pay pay battle with the junior doctors so um, I, I'm, I'm sure they will leverage it for all it's worth at, at, at the point that they can but I agree yeah it does does feel like a big win and not one that as yet is tied into um, the other parts of the negotiations. Well I think because um, consultants have balloted to to strike yeah right um, I think it was a consultative ballot but they haven't actually Hayley you're nodding so I'm going to yeah, yes it was a consultative ballot um, <laughs> yeah yeah that, that's been so far and, and yes they did um comment on pensions in quite a big way on that, mm. that, that charges were punitive um and that was playing into part of it mm. um and then so earlier this month there was also a, a the government said it was going to go ahead with separate pension changes which made kind of things like partial retirement uh easier and the BMA's reaction to that again was a bit like very welcome but lifetime allowance and, and annual allowance still quite a big deal for particular yeah. consultant members I think they said don't quote me on the consultant members part but that they definitely were commented on annual allowance and lifetime allowance when responding to that so so yeah mm, I think it would have to feed into the any negotiation any future negotiations oh, with sir. consultants it's such a huge mm. it, it's pretty much exactly what they wanted it's, it seems it seems odd because you sort of could have had it as a bargaining chip and, and say you would have thought they'd save it up for those negotiations yeah but. I think that's an interesting interesting thought perhaps it yeah. shows how desperate they are to to 
do some more elective work mm. I don't know maybe that yeah, outweighs yeah. that as a, as a bargaining yeah. chip um all right I think on that note it's a, it's a good point to wrap things up this week thank thank you all for for joining me um and just a reminder to listeners our podcast is available every week on our website and wherever you listen to podcasts and please don't forget to get in touch if there's something you'd like to see us cover or if you have any questions for our team thanks very much for listening and we'll see you next week <laughs>